0: According to the FTC, the ban on non-competes would increase physician salaries, but it would also lower healthcare costs, and their estimate is $148 billion annually, lower healthcare costs. Basically, you're removing friction from the system.
1: Welcome to the Emergency Medicine Workforce Podcast, where we explore the business and profession of emergency medicine. I'm Leon Edelman, an emergency physician and the founder of Ivy Clinicians. On February 7th, 2023, the FTC announced its intent to prohibit non-compete agreements between employers and employees. The ban has the potential to completely change the landscape of the physician workforce. So today we're bringing on Andrew Fisher, founder and managing attorney at Fisher Corporate Law a firm that's focused on helping entrepreneurs, executives, and startups work through legal challenges. Andrew's the perfect guest to give us clear understanding of the pros and cons of non-competes and why the Federal Trade Commission is aiming to ban them. So let's get right into it. To start, I asked Andrew to describe what a non-compete is.
0: While you're employed at this practice and for um, you know one year or 18 months or two years or you know, some businesses try for longer than that even, you will not compete with the business by practicing medicine or or maybe you're practicing your specialty during that time frame. And then also there's a geographic component generally to non-compete, so it'll say within you know, 10 miles of any existing practice location of this, of your employer, or within a state, or, you know, the employers will will sometimes say anywhere in the, you know, in the world or anywhere in the United States uh, or anywhere in the state.
1: Essentially, I might sign away my rights to practice emergency medicine within a certain area. Many sign the non-competes without thinking about it or assuming there's nothing they can do about it. If they want that job, we'll talk more about what's being done to change this, but I also want to get into the other terms that typically go along with the non-compete, starting with non-solicitation agreements.
0: Non-solicitations come in two basic flavors. One is the uh, non-solicitation of customers or patients, right? So you can't leave the business, leave the practice, and then go and email all of your prior patients who are patients of record of that practice and say, come join me in my new practice, two towns over, right? that's That would be in violation of the covenant. And the other flavor of non-solicitation is non-solicitation of employees or staff, right? So you'd say, well, I'm not gonna go, you know, try to poach the office manager from uh, this practice because, you know, he or she is great. That's obviously, the business does not want their employees poached, especially the good ones, uh, especially in today's climate of uh, difficulties staffing.
1: Got it. And then another one that I've seen, that goes along with non-competes is the non-disclosure agreement. What Can you tell us a little bit more about the non-disclosure agreement?
0: Yeah, so non-disclosure or confidentiality agreement really just means that it recognizes that there are, first of all, they're used in every business transaction, uh, really, pretty much, you know, and, uh, and employment relationships also, pretty much every employment relationship, especially on the professional level. So the business obviously has some, proprietary right secret or confidential information that is its secret sauce right It's customer lists, the methods that it does business, the trade secrets that it has and trade secrets are you know uh, there's a specific description of them but it's patents it's it's trademarks it's all got it's got information that it deems important and keeps confidential and does not want exposed to the public because someone else could just take it and then do what they're doing, maybe do it better. Uh, and so the confidentiality or non disclosure provision says you are going to learn some things that are private to this business and that you cannot go and share those later on you can't share them you know with the public and you can't take them and create your own business using that confidential information it's an overlay, right, with the the non-compete, right, which says, well, we're sort of assuming that if you set up a business and then, uh, you know, a practice in the next town over doing emergency medicine, you are going to take what you learned from our business, which is our confidential information, and use it to make your business great. So that's, they sort of overlay in in protecting the, the business's interest in in protecting its successful business.
1: Got it. Yeah. What other legal terms do you think we should clarify for the rest of this discussion?
0: A couple of quick things. I mean, so things that are often included with this type of language, you know, it'll be in the same section of the agreement, the confidentiality, the non-disclosure, and uh, the non-solicitation, the non-competition. You also see non-disparagement, which means Mm. we're not gonna say bad things about each other after we part ways no gossiping, right? Uh, and then uh, trade secrets, which I mentioned. You'll see trade secrets described uh, as a part of what is confidential uh, by mm-hmm. the company. And, and trade secrets are information or processes or methods or devices that, number one, give the business an economic advantage, right? So it's something they can use to their advantage. And number two, they keep secret, right? They have to like try to keep them secret and out of the public view that process protects those trade secrets, things that are not patentable or trademarked, right? The way, so obviously patents and trademarks protect inventions and, uh, and, and then uh, uh, logos or designs um, or branding tools. But there's, trade secrets are a little bit different, but another piece of IP. Those are probably the most important terms that you want to know.
1: So let's talk about the extent of the non-compete agreements as they're used in the United States. How many workers in the United States are, are bound or have been bound by non-competes?
0: Uh, so according to the, the FTC or the Federal Trade Commission, which we'll be talking about quite a bit today, there are about, about 20% of American workers, which I'm actually surprised about. I mean, I run into them, into them a lot. Uh, and just to put that in concrete numbers, that's about 30 million people uh, are bound by non-competes. I, I work with non-competes pretty frequently, but that's generally because I represent a lot of professionals or businesses that are hiring professionals or you know, C-level employees. And that, that's where you t- tend to see non-competition covenants in place in their employment agreements. But So this is a bigger number than I expected. Yeah, it's about, uh, it's about 30 million people. And as you might expect, if we're talking about doctors, there's a 2018 study that said about 45% of all physicians are bound by uh, non-competes. So that's, and there are about a million physicians, or there were in twenty eighteen in the u s. Uh, and so four hundred and fifty thousand doctors you're talking about um, subject to non-competes. It's a big group
1: right. and then if you if you change that denominator and get rid of the independent physicians who are in solo or or a small group practice, that's a very large percentage of physicians who are employed by larger groups,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, larger groups are tend going to be uh, tend to be a little bit more aggressive with their uh, with their contracting. Right. Uh, they're going to pay for pay for more lawyers. They're willing to take the time to enter into more binding employment agreements. And so that's to be expected. And they probably have more negotiating power. They're just they're behemoths, especially with the consolidation of practices uh, these days.
1: I believe it. Yeah, I was part of a sale of a small, medium sized group to a private equity owned group and the, the initial contract language for the private equity owned group contract included a 75 mile non-compete. Wow. And so you'd have to move to practice the one thing I'm only, you know, we, we all in as emergency medicine specialists, we're only trained to do one thing. So we'd have to move in order to change jobs.
0: And I think that is one of the huge reasons why this uh, new proposal to to essentially ban non-competes uh, is coming down from the federal government because that creates an obvious and very real restriction on people's ability to to, to earn a living, to practice their, their livelihood, um, not just in emergency medicine, but in, in any other um, area, especially in professions.
1: I believe it. Yeah. One thing I hear a decent amount from the company's side is, well, non-compete agreements aren't enforced anyways, and so it's not that big of a deal. how How often are non-competes actually enforced?
0: It varies, I guess, is the classic lawyer answer, right? Um, and uh, you know, I'll also say, you know if a company puts a non-compete in front of you and says, "Oh, don't worry about this. It's not going to be enforced anyway." So something a little backwards about that, right? Say, (laughs) sign this contract that isn't meaningless, right? Uh, Well, then let's not sign that part of the contract. Let's take it out, right? But um, so enforcement is dependent basically on on the state that you live in these days, right? So the state laws are overwhelmingly the law that's going to apply to whether or not you are not compete is enforceable. There are some states um, that ban pretty much all non-competes, California, North Dakota, Oklahoma, notably, mm-hmm. with some exceptions. Just You mentioned this, a sale of a business. So non-competes in the context of a sale of a practice or a business are more favored by courts or more allowed by courts than, than non-competes. So just have a, have a run-of-the-mill employee of a, of a practice. And then there are other states that allow limited uh, enforcement and use of of non-competes like Florida, Michigan, Oregon, Alabama, and then others, other states, the the default though for most states is courts impose this reasonableness standard, right, on Mm -hmm. whether or not they'll enforce the non-compete. And this gets back to the the geographic reach and the duration of the non-compete. And so a court would say, you know, if you put a five-year, you know, 1,000-mile non-compete in place most courts are going to say that's unreasonable and they're either going to throw it all, all together or they're essentially going to rewrite the contract and say, you know, 20 miles, six months, you know, or whatever that court's going to do. That That's the general standard for state enforcement of non-competes is reasonableness.
1: Got it. And I'm glad you brought up California. It seems as a, as a non-lawyer that California's ban on non-competes was a big part of why Silicon Valley became so successful that, that, Um, developers and designers and leaders from Apple can then go to Google, can go to Amazon, can go to different companies. And all of those companies benefit from kind of the the brain meld in Silicon Valley. What's your sense of how non-competes fit into the success of Silicon Valley?
0: Yeah, I mean, if you are a true believer in free market capitalism, then you probably think that non-competes have no business you know, being uh, in anybody's contract, right? And that if you really want to ensure that the best talent is flowing to the best places and, and, and are able to put their talents to their highest and best uses, they should not be restricted by contract from going to work for someone else. Now, that's not to say that there aren't legitimate reasons for businesses to say, well, we've got this information, this proprietary method that we don't want shared with anyone else. A confidentiality provision can go uh, some distance in preventing, you know, someone from sharing confidential information. But it would be very difficult, right, if someone, say, picked up and moved across the country or just a state away and started, you know, joined a business and started using the methods that are, that are trade secrets of the business they left. To your question, I think that Silicon Valley and California in general certainly benefited from, and the workers in particular <laughs> benefited, right, from the ability to freely move uh, among the tech companies. Yeah.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the problems, kind of the flip side of that, that question, the problems that non-competes cause for, for workers. Have there been studies about whether non-competes decrease wages or harm workers in specific ways? There
0: have um, for sure. So you know, in this new proposed rule from the Federal Trade Commission, they cite a figure. I think it's 250 to 300 billion dollars a year is is what they think the the net benefit to employees will be if if mm-hmm. non-competes are banned nationwide. It's a big number, right? So obviously, you know, if you are in a position where you're offered a job that violates your non-compete, you um, are less likely to take it, right? So you might decide to fight it. You might decide to run the risk that there's there's enforcement or not of your existing uh, contract. But in general, it's going to have a suppressing, non-competes are going to have a suppressing impact on wages of employees. It just makes it harder to switch jobs, uh, even if that new job is going to pay more.
1: Got it. And some of the loudest voices or strongest arguments against non-competes are coming from representatives of minority groups and women saying that non-competes disproportionately harm women and minorities. Is there literature behind that as well?
0: Yeah, there are several studies recently that suggest non-competes uh, uh, more strongly or more negatively affect women and people of color. It is non-competes that make it more difficult to switch jobs. And it's already harder for women and minorities uh, to to switch jobs. And um, they have fewer economic resources already. It just generally speaking, right? And so it's harder for them to take a, a break in between to to, lead, to quit a job you know, and, and do a job search for a couple of months is not possible for a lot of people who, who may be living paycheck to paycheck. And that tends to be disproportionately female or, or minority. So yes, it's definitely harder for them than it is for you or I, right? Generally speaking.
1: Let's take a break to tell you about our sponsor, Ivy Clinicians. Full disclosure here, I'm Ivy's founder, Both as a practicing physician and ED medical director, navigating the job market felt like going back to the days of classifieds and smoke-filled rooms. Who staffs which ED? I don't know. Who should I contact there? I don't know. What's it like to work there? You get the point. So our team at Ivy created the Zillow of the emergency medicine job market. With Ivy, you can find all 5,549 EDs in the United States, Filter them by your preferences and connect with the right employers all for free. Your data is secure with Ivy. You pick which employers can see your profile. Sign up now at ivyclinicians.io. When Ivy connects you with your next emergency medicine job, we will even send you a bottle of champagne and a bag of 321 coffee beans to celebrate. That's ivyclinicians.io. All right, back to the show. Yeah, so it does sound like there are many reasons to question the wisdom of having non-competes. So let's talk about what is new in the scene. So who is Lina Khan?
0: Yeah, so... Lena Khan is a young 33-year-old uh, chairwoman of the FTC. Um, she was appointed by President Biden in 2021. Uh, she's a Yale Law grad, uh, and she is the one who is, uh, it's, I, I think, is championing this new uh, proposed regulation that would limit or very much restrict uh, the use of non-competes.
1: And can you tell us a little bit more about what, she's, what she and the Federal Trade Commission have proposed
0: Yeah. So um, essentially, the proposal says that all non-competes are more or less, uh, especially in the employment context, are going to be banned. And not only that, but existing and non-competes in existing contracts are not going to be grandfathered in. They are going to need to be rescinded also. It would be a sweeping change, right, to the to the current mm-hmm. employment uh, law landscape. You know, this is a proposed rule, right? We should make sure that's very clear. This is so the FTC has come out and said, "Here is our here's the text of the proposed rule. Here's the rationale behind it." There's a public comment period now, right? That's between um, uh, I think through the end of March. The final rule, if assuming there is one, is probably going to look different from from what is out there now. But right now it would be a pretty much a straight up ban on on non-competes. I, I think that in the business sale context, which we talked about before, I think that that would probably be excluded from this ban uh, because, well, for it's just a different context. You're getting paid for your business, and so part of the thing that you're getting paid for is the um, the, the non compete uh, covenant that you're that you're putting in place. That's part of the value you're getting. And also, people who own and sell businesses are not as quite as economically challenged usually as as employees might be.
1: As a physician and not a lawyer, I'm trying to channel back to that that kids video of how a bill becomes law. My understanding was that legislators are supposed to create laws why is the FTC the one making this what sounds like a law yep
0: that's a good question so the FTC is you know it's a part of the executive branch right so right how a bill becomes a law I love that everybody everybody especially of our generation I think grew up you know with that cartoon (laughs) Um, so the executive branch right is, is charged with enforcing the laws right Um, However, there is a lot of rulemaking and regulation uh, creation that comes out of the executive branch, and the authority for that sort of is derived from the laws that are passed by Congress, right? So Congress passes a law, but they will often delegate authority to make rules which support the law to branches of uh, of the executive branch. And the FTC is one of those rulemaking authorities, and so there—you can think of it: there are statutes which Congress passes, and then there are regulations which the executive branch uh, implements and enforces. So the FTC would say uh, they have the power under law, existing laws passed by Congress, that ban anti-competitive trade practices. Right. So Congress says anti-competitive trade practices are are not allowed. FTC, you go and create the rule working rulemaking framework to make sure that that intent is followed. And so you think of something like monopolies, right? So monopolies are not permitted generally speaking and the FTC uh, gets the chance to weigh in on uh, transactions, right that whether or not transactions are going to create a monopoly. So you there you have the, uh, the executive branch enforcing the law and not uh, you know creating the law itself is, is how that would be described.
1: Got it. Yeah. I was just looking up the, the mission of the FTC and, and it's right there in in the language to, to prevent business practices that are anti-competitive or deceptive or unfair to consumers. So anti-competitive is, uh, one of the first words in, in its mission for sure does seem to fit. So let's dig into how this, uh, proposed benefit does become enacted. How would that affect physicians?
0: Yeah. Um, well, so, so, as we talked about, it's, it's a high proportion of physicians that are already subject to non-competes. So, you know, from the individual physician's perspective, I think this would be a net benefit if it were passed, right? It's going to free up your uh, economic opportunities to move to uh, a different practice without restriction. You know, the AMA, American Medical Association, already discourages the use of non-competes uh, in medicine, but it hasn't seemed to have too much uh, impact on, uh, on the actual practice of of the hiring groups. According to the FTC, the ban on non-competes would increase physician salaries. Uh, they don't say about how much, but, but it would also lower health care costs, and their estimate is $148 billion annually, mm-hmm. lower health care costs basically you're removing friction from the system, right? Uh, and so when you move, remove friction, hopefully you find more efficiencies and that should save money across the board.
1: And on the other side, how would this affect the employers of those physicians?
0: I think they're gonna have to pay more, right? So I think that this is, uh, this is you're going to have to rethink how you attract and retain talent. And part of that is going to be paying more, right? Um, if you wanna keep good good people around, you can no longer rely on a non-compete to encourage them to stick around. You're going to have to use other things like compensation, like benefits, like working environment, like hours, you know, whatever it is. Um, so it, it's probably a, a net cost to the, to the businesses, uh, to the practices, which is um, uh, why the lobbying and trade groups are lining up right now to, to challenge the, uh, the new rule, the proposed new rule.
1: Got it. Yeah. in a in a field like emergency medicine, where, the latest data shows that 65% of emergency physicians feel burnt out. Having more competition for emergency physician labor might be part of the solution to, um, to improving the workplace so physicians aren't so burnt, so burnt out.
0: Yeah, I think anything that makes it easier to um, find a job that is a better fit for you is going to help um, with the burnout problem. And I, and I know it's a significant problem, uh, in, in, uh, especially among ER docs.
1: One topic of conversation on on some of the emergency medicine chat boards is how this will affect the change of contract. So if I have the contract to provide emergency medicine services at at Rex Hospital here in Raleigh, and then uh, non-compete agreements go away, will it be really easy for UNC to come in and say, oh... All these physicians, uh, you know, they're no longer bound by these non-competes. We'll just take that contract. And so will getting rid of non-competes cause a lot more contract turnover in your opinion?
0: I would think so. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to predict, but I would say initially, I think uh, there would be a, you know, not a gold rush, but, you know, a talent rush to say, well, I, I, you know, all of a sudden everyone realizes, hey, I'm I'm no longer restricted uh, in some of the ways that I was under my contract. What options are available to me? So I think there would probably be an initial change. But then there'd be a releveling, you know, of uh, of how mm-hmm. people move between jobs, and, and you still got a lot of the same factors that keep people tied to their jobs, right? They may have job satisfaction. There are some personal and transactional costs to changing jobs, and especially, you know, you don't want to change jobs too often. That's not a great look on the resume, right? Um, and so all of that, all of those factors that play into normal, right, non 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 compete bound employees and the way that they change jobs it's the free market, right? It's not, um, it's not a, just a, it's not a free for all people willy nilly leaving. There are still people, you know, most people, you know, you get a job, you're going to stick with it for a little while, unless there's a reason to leave.
1: Another, uh, piece of discussion that I've seen is whether this new rule will affect nonprofits. What have you heard so far about how nonprofits will be treated in this rule?
0: I haven't heard too much about that, to be honest. I, I think it's the rule. Is, it seems to me is unlikely to differentiate between for profit and nonprofit mm-hmm. uh, hospitals or employers. So I, I don't think that there will be too much difference. I, I I could be wrong about that,
1: though. Yeah, I think that's part of part of this comment period is they're trying to suss it out. I, I think the goal in the language, the the draft language, was to get true nonprofits, like charities out of this discussion, not $5 billion organizations like UNC Health?
0: Sure. Yeah. You know, nonprofits are always going to look for an advantage Mm -hmm. because, and they deserve a a lot of advantages because they are existing. They exist, you know, generally speaking for the public good. However, you know people in the nonprofit sector. You've got the same same issues, uh, you know, in terms of restraining their ability to to uh, make a lively livelihood and support their families. Right. Um, same same. It doesn't matter if you're working for a nonprofit or not. From the employee's perspective, you know you don't want to be bound by a, a non compete if you can help it.
1: Right. Right. So, if this proposed change does go into effect and, and Lena Khan gets her way, um, what litigation would you, would you expect? Um, and what, what are the legal processes that would happen next?
0: So uh, yeah, again, I'm going to have to give, I try to stay away from lawyerly answers, but it depends. Right. It's uh, and it's difficult to predict. There will certainly be litigation over this rule. Right. Um, and business and trade groups are certain to challenge this rule in court. Now, what happens once they file their lawsuits uh, is is up to the judges that specifically are reviewing those those lawsuits. Uh, All it takes is one federal judge to say, you know, we're going to stay enforcement. We're going to stop enforcement of this rule while this works its way through the courts. And so um, I, I guess if I had to handicap it, I would probably say that that's likely that the rule comes down in some form changed from the proposed rule. That it is challenged more or less immediately by business or trade group, and that there's a stay put in place while one or two of the major cases uh, proceed uh, to determine whether or not it's constitutional. I think, you know, one thing that could change that uh, is if Congress were to act, right? If Congress were okay. to codify the rule and say we're going to make a specific law that says non-competes are are banned. That would obviously short circuit uh, a legal challenge, right? It would say the FTC. Some of these legal challenges are going to say the FTC is overstepping its bounds, just like the sort of the, the topic we discussed before about whether this is within the FTC's purview. Um, and and uh, that you know a law from Congress would obviously change that uh, that legal argument or remove that legal argument the chances of Congress getting together to pass a, uh, law on these, uh, on these grounds are, uh, slim given the current, uh, political climate.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to suss out the politics of this. It's not a clear right left discussion. Um, because if you're on the right, you would be pro competition, but you're also kind of pro corporate pro big business. On the left, you're pro-individualism, but you also kind of like the legalese of, of kind of having the lawyers, let the lawyers be lawyers kind of thing. So what, what's your sense of the politics of it? Who is, who, which side is for this? Which side is against it?
0: Um, well, so if you just look at uh, the, the, the proposed laws, right, the bills that have been raised in, in Congress uh, in opposition to non-competes over the last number of years, uh, it's Democrats, by and large, who are saying uh, non-competes are uh, a, a, a drag on workers' workers' incomes. And uh, as we said, you know, 250 to 300 billion additional dollars into workers' pockets is money probably out of out of the business side, uh, out of the business uh, owners' pockets. And so that uh, the big business supporters tend to be Republicans. Uh, and they are the ones who, who right now have said, we think this is a bad idea so far. So I think that's generally the way it, it breaks down. But, you know, I don't know if it, it's not necessarily that way, right? you got a lot of free market capitalists on the conservative side of things who say, you know, and you should be able to take your individual skills and go put them to work for whichever employer is going to pay you the most and whichever one, whichever place is going to be the best use for your, for your skills.
1: Yeah, this does hopefully seem like a place where The two parties can find agreement, but we'll see.
0: It's possible. If everyone can be convinced that it will be, like I said, if it reduces friction in the overall economy um, without, you know, harming business interests to to too much of an extent, then I think uh, there's a chance that there's some bipartisanship here, but just a small chance.
1: So um, I like the optimism as a kind of a a concluding thought. Um, I do have a few more questions in conclusion. One is, what book or movie would you recommend to our audience?
0: Yeah, you know, I I haven't read any books with non-competes in them lately, any novels or anything. So I was trying to think of something that would be, uh, uh, trying to think of something that would be, um, <laughs> you know, on topic, but. The uh, I'll just go with the book that I've recommended to a couple of people lately uh, that I read within the past year. And it's uh, Ken Follett's The Pillars of the Earth, which is uh, it's a doorstop of a book. It's probably more than a thousand pages. It's historical fiction set in uh, medieval England. And it spans this epic story from this sort of humble stonemason and how he uh, has a part in building the great cathedrals of, uh, of England, the early and then uh, later cathedrals of England, and then all the way up to the royal family. I mean, it's just an engrossing story, and I love historical cool. fiction, so I've been recommending that one a lot.
1: That's great. Yeah. And if we have a listener who uh, was impressed by your, your legal knowledge and uh, potentially has a small business who could use some legal advice— uh, how can people get in touch with you?
0: Sure, yep. Yeah. Uh, so my firm is Fisher Corporate Law, uh, and I'm Andrew at FisherCorporateLaw.com as my email address. Uh, but if you if you Google Fisher Corporate Law, you can find me.
1: Well, Andrew, this has been this has been great. I've learned a ton. Um, you've made some difficult legal concepts seem understandable. But thanks for being with us this morning.
0: More than happy to do it. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it.
1: Thanks for listening to the emergency medicine workforce podcast if you have feedback for us or just have some thoughts on this episode hit us up on social media at em workforce and don't forget to subscribe now to this podcast on your favorite podcast app or at emergencymedicineworkforce.com this podcast is edited and produced by earfluence i'm leon Adelman, and if you're in the emergency medicine trenches I appreciate all of the work that you do. We'll see you again soon with the next episode.